I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And Father, we do thank you that you sent your son Jesus for each one of us, Lord. The pain that he endured for every one of us, Lord, that through him that we are saved, God. And Lord Jesus, the command you gave to each one of us to follow you, Lord, now becomes the command to abide in you, Lord. And what an awesome thing that is, Lord, that we'd be able to remain in you and continue with you, to stay connected to you because you're the vine that brings forth everything that we need, God. We're thankful that you love us that much, that you'd want to meet with us each and every day. Help us to hear you this morning, what you want to say to this part of your church. In your name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we often say that God is a God of relationship, and, but, and he is a God of relationship. But what exactly does that mean? We have all different kinds of relationships. Some of the relationships we have are acquaintances. Others are friendships. Some sisters and brothers in Christ. Some of deep intimacy as a parent and a child. And as a parent, I can say when my children were younger, there was a great dependency on us. Later on, as they became teens, not so much. You know, it was kind of a declaration of independence at that point. But that's understandable. They were growing up. And uh, then there's the relationship of marriage, a covenant before God. A covenant between a man and a woman before God, holy and set apart by him. And so relationships. And so what is it that God desires for each one of us with him? What is his desire for our relationship with him? Because we can miss this. Maybe not quite understanding as we listen to the Lord Jesus this morning in John 15 as he reveals his heart. And the question becomes, could it be that the Lord's desire or his calling for us is for a far deeper and more intimate relationship than what we have understood? Beginning in the Old Testament, what our father intended or desired, you can see in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, the scripture says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He's called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. And so the Lord is our husband. Paul writes these things in Romans chapter 7. He says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So now married to him who was raised from the dead. Maybe quite different than the relationship that we currently have with the Lord. 
And so it is a marriage covenant. The book of Hosea uh, establishes about the people of Israel and how they were unfaithful to God. Uh, In Hosea chapter 1, the Lord speaks. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Wow. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Debalim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. You see, they had worshipped other gods. They had broken this covenant that God had with them, with the Israelites. Gomer prostituted herself even after the marriage to Hosea. God was showing Hosea and the people of Israel what they had done. They had broken the heart of God and his covenant. Yet God still pursued them in Hosea chapter 2. He says, I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal. When she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers. But forgot all about me, says the Lord. And maybe you've experienced some type of relationship where you've had rejection. Or maybe you've even been to a point where you've experienced betrayal. Tremendously painful. But God is revealing his heart here in this relationship that he wants us to have with him. Hosea chapter 2 verse 14. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly, tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. And so God's remembrance of how he brought them out of Egypt when they were slaves, how he opened the Red Sea and brought them out. In Hosea 2.16, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my Husband, or the Hebrew word is she, instead of my master. And so my husband, that's God's calling for us. Married to another, to the Lord Jesus. On the Passover night in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says these words. He says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. In John chapter 6, Jesus would say that he's the bread of life. He's the actual bread that came down from heaven. He said, Your fathers ate manna in the desert and they're all dead. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. The bread that I shall give is my flesh. And he went on to speak of how they needed to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. The scripture says that many people left him then. And even his disciples, Jesus would say, does this offend you? Because Jesus is the vine that he gives us all the nutrients and everything we need to walk 
In the same manner, he's saying that you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. It is a constant nourishing from him. It is a covenant, he says, calling us to eat and to drink of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in John 15, as he says that he's the vine, he continues on with this relationship that he's now calling us into. John 15, 1, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So Jesus is the true vine, right? It's the Greek word ampelos. The vine gives sap, right? It infuses into his followers everything that they will need to be able to walk as a Christian or a follower of Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, But of him, but of the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, all of us who have given their hearts to him. Christ the true vine, he's our wisdom, he is our right standing, he's our sanctification, he's our redemption as we abide in him, the true vine. The father is the vine dresser, the gardener, the husbandman. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so our Father takes away things in our lives that don't bear fruit. Sometimes they're relationships. Sometimes they're our very own plans themselves. The parts that bear fruit, that bring him glory, he prunes those. Our Father is committed to doing these things in our life. And so one thing that we've been involved in during the pandemic, something that hasn't been taken away, is gardening. <laughs> and, uh, and so some of the things that we have learned, and uh, many of you probably have taken up this thing of growing or trying to grow plants and trying to grow flowers, and so that's one of the things that we've done. Besides the flowers, we've planted our own seasonings and a few vegetables, some tomatoes and uh, courgettes or zucchini, and strawberries. And so I can relate to the pruning process, the cutting back and even taking away, even deadheading some flowers so that more would grow. My wife removed the suckers from the tomatoes. They have these little uh, parts of the tomato plant that will try to grow in the midst of the branches and that if you don't take them away, then the plant will not thrive and do as well as it would if you take them away. And so she's been in charge of that as we went through this time uh, of this pandemic. The offshoots that would take away from the main vine. Well, that's what God is saying. That's what he does in our lives. We also learned a lot about pests and diseases. If you've been a gardener, you'll know all about them. You know, if it's not the slugs or the black spot, maybe it's the aphids or the moths that lay the larvae and the eggs, and then the next thing, the leaves are gone. And then just when you think things are okay, you got the rabbits coming in. The market's been overrun by rabbits, and we got rabbits everywhere. They look really nice, but they eat everything. And I'm so amazed that they would eat even the, the leaves off of a rose bush and <laughs> cut the vines and pieces off of the rose bush and wonder how they would do that. I would figure the rose bush, rose bush would be safe. 
But no, they go right for those, and they even eat the uh, branches with the thorns and everything else. So these are pests. These are diseases that come in. And our Alba Father is the greatest of gardeners. That's what the Scripture is saying. He's the vine dresser. He's the one that oversees all those things in our lives, the things that need to be taken away, the branches that are dead. Maybe there are relationships in your life that God needs to remove, and so he'll do that. And he's committed to that. He's the vine dresser, our Father. John 15, 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already purged, Jesus is saying. You are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you, the cleansing power of Christ's word. He would say, and it's it's, uh, accounted for in John 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so the cleansing power of God's word. The word has the power to set us apart. That's what Paul writes in Romans 12 too. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the reading of the word of God. It has a power to come into your life to change it. You know, if we abide in him, then God will change us and he'll take us from glory to glory, the word of God says. And so, This relationship is what we're looking at this morning and a desire of what God has for us. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. And so the word abide, it means meno. It is the Greek word. It means to remain in me. If you don't remain in me, you're not going to be able to bear fruit, right? Like any kind of plant that doesn't remain connected to the vine, what happens? It dies. You know, it doesn't bear more fruit. And so we need to stay connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to bear fruit. Paul writes of that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works or fruit bearers, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So good works and fruit. We're not saved by our works. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, you know, not of works, lest any man should boast, but we are created unto good works. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works or your fruit and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good works, your fruit. And so why? The scripture says that your Father in heaven may be glorified. So he's created us in his image. We're image bearers in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we're created for his purposes. That's in Revelation chapter 4, for his good pleasure. And so we're in his image. We are image bearers and we're created for his purposes. And Isaiah says that we're created for his glory. Every one that's called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And so, okay, what's the meaning of life? Okay, you're created in the image of God. You're created for his purposes. And you're created to bring him glory. And there it is. That is the purpose of mankind. We're created in the image of God for his purposes and to bring him glory. It is not for the happiness of mankind, but it is for the glory of God. And those are vastly different. 
to bear fruit. Why? That our Father would be glorified. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify Abba, your Father. The good news about all this is that it isn't your work or isn't your struggling that's going to get this thing done. It won't be our struggling, not tomorrow, I'm going to try harder and do better and walk more holy. It is the direct outflow of abiding in Christ. It is our intimacy with God, with Jesus. He is our righteousness. He is our right standing with the Father. He is our sanctification. Why we're in him, he creates and sets us apart. He alone is our redeemer, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. As we abide in him, it's Christ's work in us. It's no longer my struggling that I'm going to do a better job tomorrow, but I'm going to be intimate with Jesus Christ and the inflow of Christ into our lives. What he's calling us to do is to remain in him, to abide in him. You know, one of the things I say to my children, you know, you know, we got to stay close, you know. Uh, you know, we get to do that FaceTime thing and all those kinds of things. It's not quite the same as really hugging somebody, but uh, it is better than nothing. And uh, you find out as you grow older that uh, some of the most important things in your life are the, uh, the relationships you have with other people. And so he's a God of intimacy. I visited my mom on Monday. She's going to be uh, 92 years old. And uh, <clears throat> I thank God that he gave me a mother like that. You know, we spoke of many memories that we had shared. We were remembering what she has given me. Uh, she had a deep love of flowers. And as a young child, I remember in the spring, she would take us out front to take a look at the crocuses. Look at the, look at the crocuses. They're coming up. You know, how beautiful they are. The life is, is coming up out of this, you know, time of winter that we had. The older I get, the, you know, the less I kind of like winter anymore. But uh, she would show us the, the crocuses. And now that love of flowers that she had is now my love of flowers. The ocean, and she once owned a sailboat. She actually had a captain's license, and she lived on a houseboat at one point, so she had a love of water. And then that love of water has become a love that I have for water, and I bought a home that's in Margate right near the, you know, the beach area so I could be up on the boardwalk and see these things. There's, just, there's a lot of life coming out of that ocean, a lot of uh, great time that you can spend with the Lord sitting on the boardwalk with your Bible open. You know, It's a pretty amazing thing. But she taught me one of the things, and one of the great things she taught me was to value people over things. You know, Jesus never said, you know, I'm too busy to speak with you right now. You know, maybe you can come back later. But no, he's always open to speak into our hearts. She taught me to value others above myself over other things. She said, you know, there's great intimacy in family. We took many walks together. We had a relationship that was very intimate and even still now. I know that I'm loved by her and my love for her is great. But God's love for us is even deeper than all that. And our love for God, who first loved us, is great because we understand on a level his love for each one of us. And it's about relationship. We often say that God is a God of relationship, but what is he desiring from each one of us? He remembers us. Everything about us. He's a God of remembrance. Do you 
Remember the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 4? Uh, God tells each tribe, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign to pick up a stone and put it on the other side, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. You can tell them these stones remind us of how God cut off the rivers of the Jordan so we were able to cross. So he's a God of intimacy. He's a God of remembrance. God has a book of remembrance in that Malachi 3.16. He actually takes note of how we speak of him. He remembers when he formed your substance, when he formed you in the womb. And in his book, they are written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them, Psalm 139. Every moment of your life, our God and Father is there, even in the pain, even in the suffering. He does not abandon us. All your tears are kept in a bottle. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so each tear recorded, Abba, Father, a God of relationship. He remembers our relationship with Jesus, our walk with him. No longer about our struggling. Our lives are the outflow of our abiding in Christ or our time with him. And that's why Jesus says the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. I've tried many times. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. All that we are as followers of Christ comes through Jesus. Our time with him. And that's why he says to abide in me. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. The same Jesus who called the disciples, who called each one of us to follow him. Remember how they dropped their nets immediately and followed? And we kind of looked, what are they doing? You know, they just took off and went and followed him. Remember our decisions to follow Jesus. Before Jesus leaves for heaven, he gives this disciples a new word, a more intimate word. It is far greater than even following him. It is about a spiritual union with himself. He says, abide in me, that we would be one with him. Far greater than just being saved, right? I remember when I was saved, and uh, a lot of years ago, uh, Jesus was my savior at that point, but he wasn't my Lord of my life. And I wasn't really sure what to do from there, you know? Okay, I'm saved. I know that I'm going to be one day with him in heaven, but I wasn't sure what the next steps were in my life. But Jesus says in John 17, he said, Eternal life is to know the Father, the one true God, and his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. To know speaks of intimacy with God. Jesus, as he prays in John 17, he says these words, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, And you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, or mature. That the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. What an astounding statement that God the Father would love us like he loves Jesus. What a deep love. 
And this is what God desires in John 17. He says that you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, all of us, would be one in us. And this is the heart of God for us. Abide in me and I in you. To know through intimacy, to comprehend the love of God for you. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 3, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded in his love. In his love for you. He's called us in everlasting kindness. In everlasting love, Jeremiah the prophet writes. And Jesus is calling us to remain in him, to abide in him. God remembers. He, do you remember when you came to Christ? Do you remember that first time when you gave your heart to him? The amazing thing is that God remembers. In Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, I remember you, the kindness of you. I remember where you were. You know, you were a scoundrel. You were a drunken drug addict at one point. And uh, God says, I remember you. I, I remember the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, God remembers I remember you, God says, when you went after me, the kindness of your youth, the love, listen, of your betrothal, your espousal to me, when you gave yourself to me. Do you remember when you betrothed yourself to Jesus? I can remember when I first gave my heart to the Lord. I remember I lived on a street called Oakland Avenue, and then, of course, I had all these oak trees on it, and so... uh, I remember walking down the street that night and everything was different. It just seemed so different. I could sense this peace that was in my heart. And I remembered the scripture when it says we're no longer enmity with God. We're no longer an enemy of God. But there was a peace that surpassed understanding because I didn't understand it. I just, I was a teenager actually back then. And I remember walking down the street and everything looked completely different. I was no longer an enemy of God. I surrendered to him. And because of that, you probably remember when you gave yourself to Jesus and how he loved you and how he still loves you. You can't bear fruit on your own. I know that because I've tried many times. It doesn't work. The branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You in him, he in you that you would be one with him, betrothed to Jesus, married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So this deep, intimate covenant is what God is calling us to. My wife and I are now now married 26 years. You might want to pray for her. Uh, (laughs) I see her every day. Uh, My heart still lights up when she walks into the room. We don't see and talk to each other twice a week, although maybe she may want that, but we see each other every single day. Seriously, every day. We know each other. I have studied her, and I believe that that's what God wants us to do as a husband, to study her. There is a 
great intimacy. I know her. She knows me and I love her and I thank the Lord daily for her for the gift that he's given me and my wife. She's betrothed to me. We have a covenant before God. A marriage covenant that God sees as holy and sanctified. But the Bible says that now we are the bride of Christ. And we have the chance to spend time with him every day. But I know myself that sometimes we spend maybe once a week or maybe twice a week. And if we go twice a week, we think, hey, that's great, man. I'm going twice a week. But Jesus is saying, you have every day you can spend with me. You don't have to go to a building. You can just come and spend time with me. You know, he's always waiting to spend time with each of us. He loves us. And so he's your husband. Your maker is your husband. The scripture says the Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He's called the God of the whole earth. Even with all this things going on on the earth. That God is still working everything according to the counsel of his will. He's still on the throne. But now we are married to another. You may say, how do I do this thing? How do I abide in Jesus? Well, it's the same way that you were saved, right? You were saved by faith, right? You believed that God was able to do that very thing. And so now what we need to do is to believe in the true vine, right? Who's the true vine? That's Jesus. Andrew Murray, he was a South African pastor and a teacher. He lived in the 1800s, uh, 1828 through 1917. He once wrote these words, and it's a little lengthy, but I ask that you would listen and if you these are his words and if you ask what exactly it is that you now have to believe that you abide in him the answer is not difficult believe first of all what jesus says i am the vine the safety and the fruitfulness of the branch depend upon the strength of the vine think not so much of yourself as a branch nor of the abiding as your duty until you have first had your soul filled with the faith of what Christ as the vine is. He really will be to you all that a vine can be, holding you fast, nourishing you, and making himself every moment responsible for your growth and your fruit. Take time to know, set yourself heartily to believe, my vine on whom I can depend for all I need is Christ. A large, strong vine bears the feeble branch and holds it more than the branch holds the vine. Ask the Father by the Holy Ghost to reveal to you what a glorious, loving, mighty Christ this is in whom you have your place in your life. It is the faith in what Christ is more than anything else that will keep you abiding in Him. A soul filled with large thoughts of the vine will be a strong branch. And will abide confidently in him. Be much occupied with Jesus and believe much in him as the true vine. Believe. And then when faith can well say, he is my vine, let it further say, I am his branch. I am in him. We are in him. And so Jesus is the greatest husband. And he will not fail you. And the call from him is to abide in him. This deep, intimate relationship can be yours.
And as we get ready to close this morning, the songwriter writes that love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I am yours. I am forever yours. Love came down and rescued us. Love came down and set us free. We are yours. We are forever yours. Mountain high or valley low, we sing out, remind our souls that we are yours. We are forever yours. We are yours and yours forever. We are yours and yours forevermore. All our days, Jesus, we are forever yours. The Bible says your maker is your husband. Now married to another, the scripture says, the Lord Jesus. Abide in him. Abide in Christ.